Welcome to the Inspired Way Podcast. This show is designed to inspire and empower you to face the daily storms of life with passion, strength, and courage. We believe that we can be transformed by the testing of these storms, growing stronger, not wavering in our faith, and a knowing that our endurance will be strengthened. And when it is all said and done, we'll be perfect and complete, body, soul, and spirit. For we seek to control the controllables and nothing more. Our goal with this show and company is to keep a posture of learning by renewing our minds daily and taking action on what we have learned so that when the storms of life come our way, we are ready to face the storm. We, 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 we are ready to face the storm. Welcome back to the Inspired Way podcast. I am your host, Tim Douglas. And today I have the guest, Brian Scott, or AKA Cornbread. Uh, I've always known him as Cornbread and didn't really know his real name. And so um, from here on out in this episode, you'll probably hear me just say Cornbread. So it's been a pleasure to have him on. We kind of uh, followed each other for a little while, but just never crossed paths. And so it's fun to actually uh, get connected with Cornbread and get to know him and just chat with him a little bit. And then we have him on the podcast, which is which was a treat. He's got quite the story. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say thank you to Naked Warrior uh, recovery for their amazing partnership with us. Uh, if you uh, know anything, if you've been following this episode or this podcast for a while, you know that uh, we have an affiliate link with uh, Will and Naked Warrior Recovery. Amazing products over there. These are all USA uh, produced products uh, shipped in the U.S., made in the U.S., farmed in the U.S., everything. And so um, it's a great way to support a USA brand. Not only that, to support a U.S. Navy SEAL veteran. And so um, Will spent 26 years in the SEAL teams and uh, came out uh, looking for something to help him uh, just beat the edge of, of anxiety or uh, the other things, the storms in his life. And so uh, he created Naked Warrior Recovery. Check him out. The link is down below. Be sure to use Buffalo20 as your code to get your 20% discount um, in checkout. That's with every order that you make. And when you do so, of course, we get a small little kickback. So thank you so much for supporting a USA brand and supporting this podcast. Also, Salty Britches. If you are out there getting after it, you're doing hikes, you're doing runs, you're uh, you know doing some crazy yard work or whatever, uh, Salty Britches is an amazing product. It's a skin barrier that prevents or helps prevent chafing. I, I say prevents. They can't say that. I'll say it. Prevents chafing and blisters. <laughs> so um, it does a great job. I've, you know, that 32 mile run that I did back in January threw a layer of salty britches on once, once and had zero issues whatsoever. So Get your hands on that. Also, the link is in uh, below or in my bio, uh, or you can just go to timdouglasinspires.com forward slash partners. Use the code INSPIRE20 to get 20% off your salty britches. Awesome. All right, let's dive into this today. Um, today, cornbread. Wow. It's so cool to have him. He is a he is a believer. He is a follower of Christ. He's you know forty five years old, so he's had some experience under his belt. He's been married for twenty years. That's amazing. Uh, very few people uh, still can say, "Hey, I've been married twenty years to this same person." Uh, no condemnation out there if if you're you know 
not there, but hey, that's a, quite the accomplishment. So I just want to say kudos to him. He's got he's the father of two adult sons. He's an ex police officer, a little over five years with the police force, and then now he's in uh, construction, heavy equipment construction. He's a lifelong hunter. This guy is cool, man. He you know we got to do some turkey hunting together, <clears throat> but we get into his his alcoholism and the recovery process that he had to deal with. Um, through alcohol and coming out of that storm and so we talk about that but he's also a podcast host as well so it's fun to have another podcaster on the episode so definitely check them out they have some fun episodes him and his son cooney and uh so red-blooded outdoors podcast and then off the elevator he's also uh, a teammate uh, of the basic course we didn't actually spend time on course together um, on the same team but uh, he's a graduate of the basic the three of seven basic course uh, team 14 i was team eight and so uh, but he also went to the proving ground did that and then 40 days of deliverance that uh, john gardena does uh, i think he does that twice a year so if you're interested in that john gardena was in my on or I, I was on his podcast. I just released the recording of that, the last one. So definitely check out Gardi, uh, Je, John. Wow, slow down, boy. John Gardena and his 40 Days of Deliverance. Uh, you won't be disappointed. All right, so let's get into this. I just told you we talk about his alcoholism. We talk about hunting. We talk about all kinds of fun things. This is just a fun episode with a friend, Cornbread. All right, here we are. Man, Cornbread, I'm so happy to have you on, man. Good to be here, brother. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. We've been talking about this for a bit, and it's like, yeah. all right, man, we uh, mm. we better we better make this thing happen. Stop talking about it. So yeah. here we are. So for the listeners, real quick, uh, if you hear a little crazy sound, uh, my neighbors decided to have their hedges trimmed. They got a guy over there, and he's uh, he's blowing off the sidewalks and the driveway with all the debris. And um, hopefully it ends because it's pouring down rain right now, but that guy doesn't seem to be deterred by the rain. <laughs> so if you hear that, that's what that noise is. And hopefully it'll go away here pretty soon. But I am so, I'm so happy to have you on, man, because uh, you and I have kind of, we've kind of crossed paths um, actually more than once and we've only chatted uh, once. And so it's been, it's been a good kind of cross paths and so i'm excited to actually have you on and kind of dig into your background because i know you guys have a podcast um, we can get into that a little bit later but before we we dive too deep why don't you uh just and this will be new for me too because i don't know a lot of your history we right. I've got a little bit here and there so it'd be nice for I'm learning with the listeners as we go. So, um, but just tell the listeners uh, where you're at, kind of like a little bit of history about who you are. I, I called you cornbread, and people are probably like, right. "What the heck is cornbread?" <laughs> and so, uh, get tell us right. a little bit about who cornbread is. Well, <clears throat> 45 years old, live raised here in Dallas, Georgia. All my life, been married 20 years, got two mm -hmm. sons that are grown now you know the 
I, I was on the three of seven podcast mm-hmm. to where I told, I gave some testimony on my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And once, you know how you was talking, we cross, cross paths. Once I was on that podcast, the people God has brought into my life mm. is, I mean, I can't even explain it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, that whole network, I know is how we ended up cross, yep. crossing paths. I remember seeing you, I didn't get a chance to talk. We didn't talk at the at the 50k race when I was there volunteering, but yeah, man, I went on that podcast, gave some testimony and on my alcoholism and a few things been on at a time since and pretty much I've been a construction worker all my life. Uh, I policed here in the town I'm from for five years, a little over five years. That was a, that was a journey there. Some opening stuff in your hometown, you know, Dallas, Dallas, Georgia isn't a big town. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. now it has become in the last 10 or 15 years, a suburb of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up, it, it was nothing like that mm-hmm. at all. So, that's- so you were born and raised there in Dallas mm-hmm. and uh, still, still got your roots in there. Still, still here going strong. Must some big, be some good water there to make some strong roots for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Digging deep. Hometown, it's hard to leave that hometown feeling where you know where everybody and everybody knows you yeah yeah it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because to hear you say that i i have some friends i i've eventually moved back uh to where i grew up in the area where i grew up upstate of south carolina and i don't live in the, my hometown where i grew up but i know people and they're probably listening to this podcast but uh they they've stayed there you know the whole time too for me i i was man, I was ready to get the heck out of Dodge and, uh, you know, see the world and do some different things. And, and I knew it's so funny because Chad and I have never talked about this, uh, but, uh, his story (laughs) is quite similar to, to mine as far as like, he knew if he stayed there, he was going to be stuck, you know, and it was not something that he wanted. And that was something that I felt the same as like, I feel if I stay here, I'm going to be stuck Mm -hmm. here. And I didn't want to be stuck, you know, in, in this, in this town. And so I left and was gone about 27 to 28 years uh, before I came back. And he, he and I actually, he moved back and I think it was 2019. And that's about when I'd moved back was in 2019. So quite, quite interesting, uh, uh correlation there and how we met with him and his you're right man that circle is is amazing it's yeah, it's uh it's quite the it is unexplainable it's quite the yeah. family for sure right. and uh so so growing up there in dallas uh tell us a little bit about that like how did you how did you end up on the police force and uh how did you how, you said five years so what drew you into that and then kind of what what gave you the the nudge to make a pivot away from it? Well, so growing up here in Dallas, one reason we sort of sort of stayed close right at the county line and whatnot. My dad went to prison when I was five years old. Mm. So we lived, me and my mom and my sister, we lived primarily at my early years with my grandparents. And, uh, you know, that's where the down home route started, the, all the old timey stuff that I got taught and whatnot just sort of stayed with me the whole time. And um, sort of sort of like you was explaining how Chad, Chad, you know, as I come up and, and I got into the construction business, I've been a heavy equipment operator pretty much mm. all my life. And uh, 08 hit, time slowed down, the recession, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, so 
hours got cut, things like that started to go yeah. away. And, and a buddy of mine, as a matter of fact, it was Chad's dad. He was a police officer. And he said, hey, we've got a spot open if you're interested. And mm. I thought, which you can see me now with my beard. And yeah, back yeah. then I wore overalls. And I thought, there's no way. I got tattoos from my wrist to my shoulder. They're, they're not going to harm me. Mm-hmm. And I uh, filled out the filled out the application, and lo and behold, something that I had always wanted to do, always thought about doing. Yeah. Five or six interviews later, there I went to the police academy. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Got well, into I, the police. Go I ahead. was just going. I was just going to say I, I should have probably moved back home uh, <laughs> and tried to do this, but I went down the same path. I don't. We, we've never discussed this, and many people don't don't know this, but I actually tried law enforcement. As well as it, it's, the funny thing is, is when I was in high school, I was being recruited for the army and I went and took a test and failed it. <laughs> um, I don't know how you fail an ASFAB, but I failed it. And uh, anyway, uh, tried to go back a couple more times and it just wasn't like uh, the test. I got kicked out of the testing thing by a Marine recruiter. Uh, he didn't obviously like the army recruits, so he kicked us out, sent his guys in there. So we didn't get the test that night. This, this was like a fast course, too. We were supposed to test that Friday night, get our shots uh, early Saturday morning. They were sending us the boot. Uh, I was g- going to uh, Benning, Fort Benning, Georgia. And uh, we get in line this Saturday morning and they're like, sorry, guys, we can't have you get your shots and go on to physical because you didn't take the test last night. And we're like, that's not our problem. Well, anyway, long story mm-hmm. short. Our recruiter came, picked us up, took us to Greenville, South Carolina, because we were down at Fort Jackson uh, on base, came, picked us up, took, takes us uh, up to George, or excuse me, Greenville to get our tests done and then take us back uh, to finish out the processing. Well, anyway, we get up there and the proctor, the guy who's giving the exam didn't show. And we're like, what the heck, man? So he drove us home and I'm like, that's three times that I tried this, this, you guys are a bunch of, you guys are a mess. Like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to be a part of a mess like that. You know? So I just, right. I moved on, uh, from that. I, I kind of, you know, regretfully wish I'd kind of kept pursuing a little bit. Cause that is something I really enjoy is our, our military being a part of something like that would have been pretty cool, I think. But so next best thing was law enforcement. So by this right. time I'm now, I'd moved out West to, uh, to the Pacific Northwest. And I was trying to get on little agencies around the Portland and Vancouver, Washington area, which out there, it is ridiculously competitive. And so you get on a waiting list because uh, you take the exam, do your physical, do the interview process, and then you're on a, on a wait list. And so really? I get on all these, yeah, I get on all these wait lists. And then if you don't get called within 12 months, you got to start the process all mm-hmm. over again. So here I am, I'm testing again. I test with different agencies, trying to get on with different agencies and you get on this wait list and you just sit and wait. And so, um, so anyway, years go by. And by this time, my, my income of what I was doing had surpassed what I would be doing as in a, in law enforcement. Right. And so I give it to those guys, man, that, that really get into that and stick with that because they don't mm-hmm. get paid for what they, what they go through. Absolutely. Not. So anyway, no. I think that's funny because uh, you, 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 you test and get in right away. And yeah. And, uh, so tell us a little more about that. Like, what was that experience <clears throat> like for you? And- so so I, I went into the police Academy. I was, like I said, the, the, the acts, the, stereotypical redneck hillbilly. Yeah. I walk, I walk in the police department, go through 
all the application process and 330 pounds to the police academy mm. and um, whooped my tail. I come out of the police academy 250 pounds. Wow. So I'd lost I'd lost 80 pounds in between the start in December until I went to my first on the road training uh, end of March, April. So that was December of 09. So now we're April 2010. Yeah. Uh, lost 80 something pounds mm-hmm. um, in the police academy. So, you know, like I said, I get started in my hometown where everybody knows me. So my real name's mm-hmm. Brian Scott, but everyone calls me cornbread. So I, I get turned loose in this city to train to be a police officer. And people are like, cornbread, is that you cornbread? You know, fresh shave, beard shaved yeah. off. And, uh, I, from the night one, I worked nights primarily. I was blown away by what the, my, my new perception was becoming of the small town I grew up in. Because mm. when the lights went down, it was wild. And wow. things that, you know, the things that were happening weren't stories that I was hearing when, when I wasn't a police officer or anything like that. I don't want you to think I'm talking like this place was Gotham City or something. Right, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it was just things going on that just sure. really, really opened my eyes. And uh, but I, I felt I fell into the role. I fell into uh, the role at what a rookie would at the police mm-hmm. department and started learning, found what, you know, my good points were, what my bad points were and, and worked on them and rolled right along. Went to a lot of DUI uh, training. So that was sort of my thing. Working at night was working DUIs and and drugs, you know, a lot of places call them narcotic, um, working drugs and DUIs mm-hmm. become what we was doing, you know, as, as a team at night with the other guys when we weren't answering 911 calls. Some, some nights sure. we couldn't have had it all and uh, just kept rolling along. But one, I can't overlook the, the important part of when I become a police officer, I un, unknowingly, uh, I was an alcoholic from 10 years prior. Mm, you see mm, what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, like I told you, I worked nights. So then the sh- the shifts there were 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So on my off days, which we, we worked 15 days a month, how the rotation worked, two days mm-hmm. on, three off. You're familiar with how fire yep. and So then I found myself at home awake by myself mm. while my family was asleep. Yeah. On my off days. That was not a good scenario for me, especially with being an, uh, an alcoholic, being by yourself mm. alone at night. It, uh, it, it got, it got pretty bad there for a while. Um, kept, kept rolling right along. You know, you, 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 you want to save your community when you see these things, right? And I'm going to, sure, yeah. I'm, I'm going to save the community. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But when you're in active addiction, active alcoholism, your thoughts, even when you're not drinking, aren't mm. the thoughts you need to be having, you know. So so now I'm Batman back yeah. in Gotham City. You know, I'm I'm out here just pounding people for DUIs, you know, just mm. it, it become more it become more uh looking for people doing wrong than it was trying to help people do right. Mm. And, and, and wow. we, yeah. we were we were like I said, we worked nights, men me and the guys that I worked with. And when the lights went out, the place was different, you know. Mm. And I, I'm not don't don't get what I'm saying, Ron. I'm not saying we was like yeah. goon squad, wrote just <laughs> you know, just, uh, violating people's rights and stuff. Sure. Like yeah. But, I, but I, I'm just, I have to be honest. It become, 
I wasn't in it for the right reasons anymore. Yeah. Well, I think, you you know, uh, the statement that you just made was pretty powerful and I, I can see how that would happen. And that the, the statement that you made was, um, I think, you know, it's kind of like doing it to to see how many you could do versus, you know, mm-hmm. correct people versus actually change people, you know, right. it's like to nail them for doing wrong versus trying to right. teach them how to do right. Yeah. Um, that, that's a fine line, I think, as a as a police officer. Right. I mean, because you do have Absolutely. the responsibility of of upholding the law and correcting, mm-hmm. yeah. but yet to also uh, well, have a heart to yep. see them do better. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that, that would be hard. I would imagine, especially when you see such, uh, such wrong all the time, you know, in the perpetual, right. probably the ones that are the perpetual, uh, you know, uh, violators, you know, the ones right. that are violating on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Right. And uh, that would be, I would imagine that's pretty hard. So, so you'd mentioned uh, alcoholism a couple of times. So, and now I didn't realize, so you were an alcoholic prior to joining the force mm-hmm. and, and then I can imagine that that just ramped up things because of all the other stuff that you're seeing and doing and right. having to deal with. So yeah. um, how, at what point was it? So you were there for five years, but at what point was it that you said enough of whether was it did it was the alcoholism that got to a point of a breaking point of like for the career or at what point did you make that switch um or maybe you just said hey i've had enough and then you continued on uh right. for yeah, a while I, I got you know i got real tired and when i say tired you know physically and emotionally of working that night shift mm. and i had tried days and um you know days was too many flowers and unicorns for me. You know what I mean? That That's when the, there's a lot of nice people out during the day, yeah. a lot of nice people at night, but it was a sure. teetotal difference set. Yeah, all the brass different. was there, you know, all the staff, the admin staff, and it was just a teetotal different gig. So I stayed on nights and between my alcoholism and that schedule, you know, so when I, when I would come to my first off days, I would intentionally stay up all day so I could try to be up with my family mm, yeah. you know, on my next off days. So then when it come back to the first day of going to work, uh, I would have to basically stay up all day and all night because now I'm back at work. And that 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 wore me out on top of mm. the drinking every night I was off. You know, uh, but then the economy picked back up. Yeah. And so so now the the heavy equipment jobs were there to where I could make a lot more money than mm-hmm. what I was making at the, oh, yeah. the police department. So it was, you know, Hey, I'm tired. Hey, here's an opportunity. And, you know, I had the blessing of being able to stay and work part-time at the previous job that I had left to go. Police. Okay. Yeah. So I just fell right back into that job, a different role full time. And that's still currently where I'm at now. Job a dog. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just, uh, just, uh, your point there about the, when the lights go down, uh, I used to do ride alongs, uh, and it was, I chose nights. <laughs> I didn't choose days to do ride alongs <laughs> because, uh, the activity level was uh, a bit more, obviously, at night in mm-hmm. the Portland and uh, Vancouver area. So, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just a different crowd that's that's out, and uh, uh, we've always we always told our kids, you know, it's like 
nothing really good happens after, you know, a certain right. period of time at night, you know, it's right. like, you don't need to be out there. You'd be bopping around. So, right. but, uh, so let's talk about, um, your challenge or your struggle, the storm that you faced, uh, one of you probably, I would imagine your biggest storm in that, you know, dealing with alcoholism and, and breaking that cycle. Right. Um, what was it that led up to, to that? And how long did you, did you face that? Or, you know, actually at what point did you face it? When did you see it? Because you, you, you had mentioned that, you know, just kind of for the store, for the listeners that haven't, don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Like, you know, the podcast is built on the story of the cow and a buffalo and how we, right. how we face storms. The cow will, will see a storm coming and know that the storm's coming and it'll try to avoid the storm. And it's just trying to run away from it where the cow, excuse me, the buffalo sees this exact same storm and it faces the storm and runs into the storm and which decreases the amount of time, stress, and frustration that they have to deal with that storm because the storm passes over top of them. They're not exempt from the storm, but mm-hmm. yet uh, the more we try to avoid things, the more uh, the more stress, the more frustration, the more pain, uh, not only maybe to us, but our family, you know, or our right. coworkers or whomever. So, you know, I'd imagine at some point you knew that you'd had a, an addiction problem or whatever, and you're just not facing it. You're not dealing with it. And at what point, how long did that go on? And then at what point was it that you decided like, no, I'm going to face this. I'm going to, I'm going to be the Buffalo here and I'm going to face this. Right. So when I left police and in 2017, I went back to full-time at the job that I, that I currently got. So those, those guys there, you know, in, in the culture uh, here in small town Dallas, you know, a lot of times you're hanging out with your buddies on the tailgate and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You're, you're drinking after work. It's 90 something degrees or whatever. So I, I left police and drinking by myself on my off nights. And mm-hmm. I went and I went back to work there. And, you know, I'd have to say it's probably a lot to do with me because Cornbread was sort of the 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 the, the guy in the middle of everything in the mix. You know, he kept the, the party going. He's the one that's going to get the beer. And so, you know, it went from just being on my off days then to every day, mm, yeah. every day, every day. And um, so so the years go on, you know, and, and I start to notice, you know, skipping through a lot of stuff. I if anybody that knows me knows that my two boys, Buck and Cooney, were always with me. Now, when I was sober, I wasn't driving around with them drunk, uh-huh. but uh, always with me. Everything I did, if someone invited me somewhere and it wasn't appropriate for kids to be there or, you know, the kids couldn't come, they knew I wasn't coming because I was hanging out with the boys. Uh-huh. Well, So, Tim, I got to noticing around 2019 or so that all we was doing was sitting at home. Mm. The the plans that we would make, I was manipulating our plans so I could get home and mm. start drinking. Wow. And um, I, I was or I was manipulating, you know, my oldest son, Buck, who's 21 now, as he got his driver's license. Oh, well, well now I got somebody that can come pick me up. What, mm. what a better, you know, I hang out with my kids. Hey, Buck, come bring Cooney over. Y'all come hang out at the barn. We'll hang out at the cow pasture. You know, we'll mm-hmm. hang out up here where I work, like a like a sixteen and a and a thirteen year old want to be up there. Yeah, right. For him anyway. <laughs> so, I, Tim, I finally started realizing how I was, was manipulating mm. uh, my wow. si- situations. I was watching my kids 
You know, that's the parents thing. Hey, y'all shouldn't be on your phone. Look at you on your phone. Well, I was putting my kids in the position to either be on their phone or talk to their drunk dad. Mm. And, and I, and I started realizing that. And, you know, my wife throughout the years had made mention to me a couple of times, Hey, you, you need to think about what you're doing with your drinking. And I think for many years, she knew, you know, that the alcoholism was there. And she sometimes she would say it. You, you need to think about yourself that you, you may be an alcoholic. Mm. And uh, so about 2019, I noticed that was going on on with the kids. And, uh, man, it started to get on me, get on me hard. Now, I was saved in, in 2008. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you were saved, why why did you keep drinking? How did you keep drinking? Well, mm-hmm. I you know I slowed down a lot, Tim. But my drinking prior to that mm-hmm. was uh, was already higher than what I realized it was. Wow! I mean, it was way higher than than what I realized it was. And then it went down a great deal. And as I went through the through the policing and back to working with my buddies that I've known mm-hmm. all my life. It, it come back with a vengeance and I let, you know, no, no yeah. excuse to follow yeah. me. I let it. And, um, I was, I had been talking to a friend about me being an alcoholic mm-hmm. and, uh, I went to the hunting club one day and by myself and was out there looking for deer rubs on a pine thicket. And it just, man, it pushed on me. It pushed on me. It pushed on me. I hit my knees. I prayed. Mm. I said, Lord, I, if you will just show me how to quit drinking, I will mm. not drink another drop. I, I've got to do what's right for you. I want to be led by you. Along with a lot of other things. I uh, crying. I might start Ooh. crying now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, real emotional. And on the way home, I audibly heard the word humility mm. and that, that ride from there to the house, I cried the whole way and I knew exactly what I had to do. I walked in the house. I set my wife and both my boys down and I said, I know I'm an alcoholic. I'm sorry. I'm not going to drink again. I, I, I'm mm. giving it to the Lord and it's going to be what it's going to be. And that was August, August the 8th of 2020. Wow. Wow. So, so not that long ago. Right. No. Um, you know, I, I, dang, man, you know, just the, you know, I think of the thing that came to me when you were talking about just out there looking for, um, you know, you went to the hunting shack or something like that. You're out in the yeah. woods. And, you know, I just felt like, you know, I was obviously the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, was conviction right. um, calling you basically, you know, back. And and I love that. And, you know, I had a similar story, not in the not under the alcoholic sense, but just in a sense of just not living right and just not serving God. And I'd I'd, you know, been saved as a kid and whatnot, but just wasn't living right. And right. I, I had this this moment in in my bedroom folding clothes when I was 19 years old, <laughs> you know, it was like feeling like um, I needed to, I needed to come back and, and make things right with God. And so brother, I'm, I'm super appreciative to the fact that you uh, recognized it, that you saw it. And more importantly, that you, because you, you've seen it over the years, as you mentioned, right? You, you saw it, others saw it, others mentioned it to you, but now you're at the place where, no, I'm going to face this thing and I'm going to mm-hmm. deal with it and I'm going to hit it head on. Right. And so it not being that long ago, what, what were some of the things that, that you leaned upon to help you uh, break it? I know, like, I, I personally believe in the, in the, 
the power of God and, and miracles and healing and things like that. And so I, I believe that he can heal us instantly, you know, right. from certain things. And maybe that was your case. I don't know, mm-hmm. but you know, what were some of the things, if it was that, that's awesome. But if, you know, what were some of the things I guess that helped you um, maybe it's boundaries or other things that, that kept you from going back to that? You know, so not long after after that, it was probably six months, or I guess, or whatever, is when I went on the three or seven podcast and you know told told gave my testimony on it, and Chad asked me sort of the same question. He said, "What advice do you have for anyone else going through it?" Or and mm-hmm. my answer was, "I don't know what to tell them." Mm-hmm. That was then. Mm-hmm. But that's where I was at then. It was sure. still fresh. I mean, yeah, <laughs> still fresh. Still, hey, every once in a while when I drive by the store that I used to stop and get beer at every evening, you know, I'm, I might want to turn left mm-hmm. then. But it has been so long, Tim. I quit counting the days. Uh, I, when I was policing one time, this this helped me big time. When I was policing. I talked to a guy that had been on meth for years and years and years and years. And now keep in mind, I'm in active addiction myself when I'm talking to him. And and he had been sober for like 10 years. And I said, when did it get better? He said, when I quit counting the days. Mm. When I quit counting the days. And and I, I that always stuck with me. And so that helped when I quit counting the days. It truly helped when I quit counting yeah. the days. And as I become sober, my, my thinking became became more uh sincere. You mm. know what I mean? I, yeah. Like like I could be talking to you when I even if I was sober, but I drank the night before and I might not be paying any attention or I'm trying to guess what you're gonna say next. So what helped me was being able to be sincere and mm. in, in talking to somebody, whether I'm talking to them about my testimony or whether I'm talking to them about putting a new part on their truck. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I learned to gain fellowship by being mm-hmm. sincere because now that I was sober. And uh, and then that then I w- I was sincere with my prayer and and I ne- I never if if the opportunity arose to 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 give or to talk about my alcoholism I took it and I I, I was surprised once once you start really being sincere with people and sincere in prayer how the the communication level that you have somebody goes up tenfold. Mm, tenfold. Yeah. So I think you're able to connect with them on a different level, obviously, right? right. From a from a more authentic level. And, right. and you know, you're not trying to, you know, create a facade, you know, right. that everything's okay or whatever. Right. right. You're just being yeah. real with who you are, where you are. And and I'm I'm really big on that too. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, one of the things that you said was that really helped you uh, because I want to go back on that just a little bit, because I think if there's anybody listening, you know, it it doesn't have to be alcoholism. It could be anything, right. Mm -hmm. That we're struggling with that storm or that addiction or whatever. And one of the things that you said was stop counting the days. And as soon as you said that, I was like, wow, that is so true. There's, there's power in that because what I saw was when you stop counting the days you stop that leash because every day, like if this was a rope and I'm counting the days, I'm still hanging on to that past. Right. Um, So as long as I'm counting, I'm still allowing, I'm just letting a little bit more leash out, a little bit more leash out and that tie or whatever to my past. But the moment I stop counting, I sever 
that tie. Right. I sever that that rope, so to speak, or to the past. And I don't, I no longer am holding on to it. I'm saying right. it is where it is. It's back there. And I don't yeah. have any more ties to it. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. that. Yeah, man. Um, you know, because that's, you know, I'm with you as far as like you were saying, you know, there's times where you just wanted to turn left or whatever. I mean, and I think the power of our thoughts and where we take our thoughts, you know, the Bible talks about taking every thought captive and, you know, the, and to, to bring them in alignment with the word of God. And so like, if, if there's a thought that wants to take us left to go um, back to the drinking or back to the porn or back to uh, running around with girls back to whatever there are, our addiction, maybe, maybe it's eating addiction, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever it may be. Uh, that's, you know, if, if, if we're called to be separate from that, well, then we need to take our thoughts captive that are leading, trying to lead us back to that as well. Right. right. And those are some things that I've worked on as far as like breaking addictions, you know, whether it is from porn or things like that, it's like, you know, when a thought comes up, it's like, no, I'm taking that thought captive. Cause I know if I entertain that now I'm just giving it power over me right. and then when it has power over me, it's going to lead me where, you know, where it wants. Right. And so um, I think not counting the days is also part of that, you know, is taking those right. thoughts captive and not allowing them to, to uh, take hold. Yeah. So, I'd agree with that. I love that. Um, the fellowship. Let's talk about that for a minute, man, because I'm big on that. I mean, you know, um, as a matter of fact, here in a little over an hour, we're going to be fellowshipping with some guys in the council. And that's been huge for me, too, is just being around fellowship of other men and, and other people. But you, you mentioned that that was something that's helped you as well. And what are some of the things that you've done? to put yourself in fellowship of others. And uh, I have a follow-up question to that, but I, I want to know kind of like what, what, what are some things that you've seen the benefits of and what are the things that you've done to put yourself in fellowship? Well, you know, so while I, while I was in active addiction, or I, I, and I could say even before that, when I was a young teenager, you know, I, I was a very closed-minded person. So this fellowship thing to me is brand new. Now mm. I'm just, I mean, straight up. Yeah. Sure. Since, you know, it's, it's brand new. So I was a very close minded person. Um, so the main thing I can think of right off the bat that really opened my eyes up a, a whole lot to fellowship is meeting John Gardena mm -hmm. and going through his 40 days of deliverance program and being, you know, for somebody who had never did a Zoom meeting, for somebody <laughs> who had, you know, I always make me and John go back and forth about him being a Yankee and me being from the South That's right. and thrust into this group with people from all over the country and mm -hmm. hearing diff different perspectives on the word, you know, talk, talking faith, different perspectives, you know, because if, if I was to go ask, you know, some of the guys that I grew up with or whatever, and they, I said, well, what is your perspective of fellowship? It would be riding the side by side on the mountain tomorrow, drinking some beer. Mm. That That's not fellowship. Yeah. That, that, to, to me, that's not, not, not now. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I did that and, and it, and it opened me up, be, let me be more sincere again about talking about my faith because it had always been really private to me. Mm. Like I'd never even had the, the thought of praying in front of other people that I didn't know or, or anything else. So that I went to the basic course, totally blew my mind mm. on the basic course. And so with all those, you know, those two things together and just a teetotal 
different outlook on being sincere. I think I've, I, I can approach anyone now and want anyone to approach me and, yeah. and ask, ask me a difficult question or talk to them where I know they'll be open for me to ask a difficult question, talk about our faith, anything. So it's, for me, that just being maybe transparent, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. is who I am. This is who I was. I love you, brother. Let's, you know, let's, let's talk, you know, let's, let's do it. That, yeah. To, to me, that's, that's this newfound fellowship that I've had since, you know, a few months after being sober. Mm, I love that. You know, it's, uh, it's I don't know. Uh, there, there's a type of fellowship in the Bible. It's called koinonia. Um, and it's like a koinonia just means like uh, sitting down, breaking bread almost together in that mm-hmm. type of fellowship where your koinonia is this really close relationship where you can share openly with one another and people know, like know you. It's not this surface, um, you know, just knowing people yet, right? right? I mean, and I think that's pretty cool and it's, it is powerful. And to use the analogy of the buffalo and how they face storms, it's like I always share this. You never see a, you never see a, a lone buffalo heading into the storm, right? Innately, it's like the entire herd. They have a herd that they're with. And so I always share like if there's something that you're going through a storm, you need fellowship. You need a herd. You need a community. You need people around you to support you, to hold you up. That 40 days is a community, right? I mean, that's a (laughs) support you through that whole process. And I love what John is doing there. And that is, uh, and I, I, that's why I wanted to hit on fellowship is just because I truly believe in it as well as like, we need to have uh, solid brothers and sisters around us that can, that we can share like, dude, man, I'm, I'm struggling in this. I'm like, and, mm-hmm. and we feel, we feel comfortable and open. Like I'm not going to feel judged or anything. I'm just going to be. And even if I were, it's like, I still feel good to be, you know, real about right. who I am, you know, and the struggles that I'm facing or dealing with right now. Right. And so having those people though, that can say, Hey, we've got your back. We're here for you. Let's That's go right. do this. Let's go face the storm together. And so I love that. Um, you faced the storm. Let's just pivot a little bit before we wind down here. Um, you mentioned John and, uh, I know you did a, uh, you did his training program, but then you ended up getting hurt. Um, yeah. you still did yeah. a, you still did. Didn't you do an event, uh, a run though, still, or no, well, no. Oh, you still, so, okay. So you just went through the training portion and then got hurt yeah. and weren't able to, right. So I'm just curious though, uh, what you learned through that, uh, training part. Cause I learned a ton through, I went through his training as well to run right. the 50 K. Right. Uh, and I'm just curious, like, what are some of the things that you learned through that? That's helping you in the journey that you're on today. Uh, right. cause I can imagine you learned a few things. Oh, absolutely. So, so when I started the, the, so I've done the 40 days of deliverance twice, but the, the first one I started was in July of last year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I told you I'd got down to 250 from the police academy and pretty much held on to that till I got back doing all that drinking every day, every yeah. day. So I got up to 296 pounds and uh, I started the 40 days at 296 and uh, rocked on through that, rocked on through that. And uh, me and John talked and I was going to go up to Ohio and do a 15K with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he gave me some heart rate training to do. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember what week I was in. 
Um, but I had I had fractured my heel previously and didn't know it. Mm. And also my heel. So I learned about my heel when I did my heel. And uh, so, yeah, so the the doctor basically has said because I was so heavy Mm. that the impact I was taking at the time, I was running a lot on my driveway, on the asphalt driveway downhill. And so that's where he believed the injuries had came from. Uh, And it was like a week before the race. Yeah. Wow. I remember, yeah, that it was pretty soon. Yeah. And, close to the race, I mean, yeah. And and it, it was, you know, not to jump too far ahead during that heart rate training. So I would get out there, Tim, and and you know, run, jog, jog. I'd call it. I'd jog, jog. until I'd walk. <laughs> I would jog until I just couldn't or thought I couldn't jog anymore, yeah. and then I'd walk. And and yeah. you know, John Messi said, "Man, get you a watch," because I didn't have a watch. He said, "Just so I can see what your heart rate's doing, and I can yeah. figure out how to help you." And he he got with me, said, "Do the heart rate." And man, when when I started doing that heart rate, so I'm 45, so my heart mm-hmm. rate needed to be around 135. Yeah, I I was running nine miles in like three weeks, and I'd wow. never run I'd never run a mile and a half before in my life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know that made, that made me feel real good. It, it showed me, you know, it showed me, and I, I had learned so much from the basic course about I can do a lot more than I thought I was, but yeah, that it helped hammer it even more that home. I don't have to be in this extreme environment to to push myself, to show myself, mm-hmm. hey, you've got a lot more than what you think. I can I can do it pretty much on an everyday basis. I can I can yeah. go a little bit further every day. I don't I don't have to be drug up a mountain to learn that. Right. Um, yeah, it's good. And, but now straight up, I was so determined to go up there in Ohio and stomp my southern feet running <laughs> that 50K. I, I pushed myself probably too hard, or that 15K, uh, a little too hard at the beginning. And I think I was a little too much get to Ohio oriented. Mm-hmm. And wasn't listening to my body because yeah. there was a, there was a time I don't, I don't, that I that I knew that area around my hip was hurt, mm. and I talked to a, a buddy of my Canada Rob. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, yeah, totally. There, there's a muscle on the inside of your pelvis, so we thought mm-hmm. that might have been what it was. I can't I can't even say the name of it. Yeah, if I would have listened to my body then instead of doing the same old cornbread and saying I'd be okay, I might have mm-hmm. still made the race. Mm-hmm. So. Listening to my body and and I can push every day. Those those were the main two things that I learned from that training right there. Yeah. And be patient. Even though that nine miler was four or five weeks down the line, it wasn't going to be as bad as it looked on the calendar. Yeah. You know, yeah. For somebody who had never run. <clears throat> Yeah, I think uh, patience was a big thing for me as well that came out of it. Uh, that and uh, just uh, patience and, and just sacrificing the ego uh, because, you know, when I, I did the heart rate training as well, and uh, it was kind of, it was, I'd never done heart rate training before. And it had been over 30 years since I ran, you know, because I ran, you know, cross country in high school and, uh, distance races and things like that. Nothing like ultras, but, uh, I think the, the most I've ever ran in my entire life at one time was like a marathon distance. And, uh, but that was again, 30 plus years ago. And so here I am running and, and my times are way different than what I'm used to, Mm -hmm. uh, running when I was younger, you know? And so, Not only that is I'm running heart rate, which means you're running slower to keep your heart rate at a, at a low rate. Right. Um, 
And the ego really started playing trip on you when other people like here, I'm running, you know, see people running or on a trail or on the path and they're passing you or even like some older ladies going by you, you know, and you're like, what the heck, man? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that ego tries to play trip on you, you know, and like, come on, you you can go faster than that, or you can do this, you know, you and it's like, no, stick to the plan, you know, just be patient mm-hmm. and allow this uh, to work the plan and allow the plan to, to have its, have its place. Yeah. And uh, that, that was something that I learned from that and just being I patient thought, and that you could do more. I, I, th- I think that, that that was an advantage for me not being a, a runner at all is, you know, I didn't have any expectation of how sure. quick I could run a mile. My, me just trying to be able to run three miles without yeah. stopping. And that right there just sealed it up. Once, once he put me on that training, I mean, there wasn't one time. And like I said, I got all the way down to the last yeah. week. There wasn't a single run that I had to stop and walk. And I was, I was extremely impressed with the routine he come up. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. yeah. That, that, for me was the biggest challenge, you know, because I'm, I was in my head playing with the numbers that I was used to seeing, you know, when I was running at, at, when I was at peak, you know, I was sub sub 17 for a 5k, you know, sub 440 for a mile. And here I'm running, no joke. I'm going to be, this is so funny to say these times, you know, I'm running 15 minute miles now, you know, (laughs) and it feels weird. Yeah. Um, But it's, again, the purpose was to keep the heart rate at a certain mm-hmm. place as well. And so I learned a lot from that. And so, so tell, uh, tell the listeners though about your podcast. Cause I know you, you, you were doing it with your son. I don't know if you're still doing it. And then I actually mm-hmm. wanted, I wanted to ask a question earlier and I totally spaced it. And I wanted to know where cornbread came from. Like, how did you get that name? It's not Brian Scott anymore. It's cornbread. Right. Right. You know, and then your sons also have names, you know, Cooney and Buck. Right. So right. how how all that came about and because I know you're doing a podcast or have been doing it with Cooney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so cornbread come about, you know, Tim, I don't even remember how I got that name. I, <laughs> it it has been with me so long and that everyone at the I mean the police department, they all called me cornbread. We'd wow. be out on the scene and it could be the worst scene you could ever imagine. And they're saying, "Hey, cornbread," and people are like, "What are they? What, who are they calling <laughs> Why do they want cornbread right now?" <laughs> well, I've been I've been in court, and the judge called me cornbread. Wow! And and the defense attorney stand up, you know, and it'd be a big ordeal. I've always been called that. Uh, Buck, that's my oldest son. His name is Buck. That is his first name. Now, okay. Kevin, my youngest son, he is. I used to be big time in the coon hunting, and competition hunting, all that good stuff. And Cooney's real name is Tree and Walker Hmm. Scott. And Tree and Walker is a type of coon hound. And he sort of like Cornbread got the the Cooney nickname and he has kept it ever since. So yeah, I've got a podcast, Red-Blooded Outdoors with uh, primarily Cooney, but Buck's on there a good bit too. Mm -hmm. We talk about our our hunting adventures and and things we want to do and things we've done. And I've got another podcast too that's addiction and faith faith based called off the elevator i do it with a friend of mine jesse oh nice she's also a recovering alcoholic oh very cool and i haven't i did not know about that one so the other one's pretty fun to listen to i love listening to you guys just uh carry on and talk about the hunting experiences and 
it's uh it reminds me of of growing up here in the south is really what it reminds me of right. you know, being yeah. out west for so long and coming back it's like oh yeah this is uh this is what home was like you know yeah. so <laughs> it's really yeah. cool Absolutely. really cool so well and i i wanted to say one last thing before we hop off here is dude it was a it was a privilege and an honor even though we did not get to physically and in person meet um i just was thinking about this as you were telling your story about your breakthrough and your alcoholism and other things like that is oh just a little over a year um later i had the privilege and the honor to to witness uh you guys getting baptized by chad in the lake there in Rome at the three of seven fifty K last year. What a, what an amazing experience that was. I told Chad that it was, it was moving. It was extremely moving because it was was watching the gospel play out live in front of us. And because it was so natural and it was so uh, it wasn't orchestrated in, in, in this super hyped up way. It was just, Hey, if you'd like to be baptized, you know, here's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Here's a body of water. Let's do this. Right. Right. And what a beautiful experience that was. And could you share a little bit about that experience and how that's maybe changed your life? Yeah, I, absolutely. So <clears throat> I grew up, like I told you, I was living with my, my grandparents and my, my papa, my grandfather was a, a deacon at a old timey foot washing Baptist church <laughs> and uh, loved that church to death, not knocking them by any means. I went to that church on up into my early teenage years. And, you know, really and truthfully, it was it was sort of a thing to where we my understanding of how how I got it, not that I was sit down and told this. Mm-hmm. was we believed in God. We believed in Jesus. We believed Jesus died for our sins. And that's just how it is. No, none of the other stuff, the baptisms, the being mm-hmm. saved, I, I didn't get that in my head mm. when when I was young. Yeah. And and as I become an, a, a young man and, and whatnot and go go through and, and start studying, studying the Bible and talking to people, you know, like I said, I got saved in 2008. I'm skipping a bunch of meat there, but for time's sake, sure, yeah. never had really got into the uh, being baptized. And it was so so throughout the last year before being baptized, I was talking with people, talking with Chad, uh, studying, you know, going on. And it, there was one night I'm in a Bible study group that I don't go to enough uh, called the Sons of Thunder. Yeah. And we was talking about Galatians and it just it, it was like a pop in the forehead. We was talking about Galatians and I can't remember who was reading. Uh, where Paul said, oh, you foolish Galatians. Mm. And just, I mean, it was like snap in my ears. Um, it's not about what this world thinks or, or anything. I'm I'm getting baptized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, seriously, it was just a no-brainer. Bam. <laughs> Going in, uh, I called Chad the next day. I said, hey, man, um, you got the race coming up and this and that. He's like, yeah, you want to get baptized? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's and, awesome. Uh, uh, Cooney, Cooney was in the next room. He said, Daddy, I got to get baptized too. I'm going to get baptized. Mm, I said, well, awesome. Let's do it. So, uh, you know, some people might think that's a goofy explanation or whatever. No. That's that's just straight up. Dude, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you knew in your spirit that 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 was the right thing to do. And, 
And, uh, you know, and that's, that was just the thing about that experience for me, just being able to witness it was seeing, you know, you make that decision, Cooney make that decision, others that were there. I think, man, there was probably seven or eight people that, that made that decision to get baptized that day. And for me, what was so special about it and being able to witness it, it's, it's even more special today, uh, hearing your story, hearing that a year earlier that you had made the decision, okay, no more. Um, and you know, then having that representation of that burial and the resurrection, you know, the old man is left behind the new man, um, has risen. And so mm-hmm. I love that about that and being able to witness that. And brother, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, sharing that story with me, with the, with the podcast, with the listeners. And uh, I just really appreciate you, who you are and what you're doing. And I really do. I really mean that you're, you're a cool dude. I, I have, you, I can't wait to, for us to meet in person yeah, and uh, maybe even do some turkey hunting or something sometime. So <laughs> that'd be fun. Brother. I appreciate you letting me talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So any final words, man, before we hop off here that you want to, you, you maybe wanted to say and didn't get a chance to say, I know we hopped around a lot, but I just thought I'd give you that opportunity if you wanted to. Man, that, I'm I'm good, brother. I, you know, just be sincere. You will you will be surprised being sincere in your prayer That's and it. sincere when you talk. You know, mm. one thing when you was talking about taking your thoughts captive, and I I, I don't want to make you know everything about John Gardena, but he's been such a a big part in my life and and you know helping me write a mission statement and whatever. And I put in my mission statement: never compromise with evil. And I, I have sort of in my mind, when I have those thoughts, lust, you know, a drink, yeah. talking with somebody about it, my perspective, if I'm letting that in my head, I'm compromising with evil. Mm, come on. If, if I'm letting it in my head, I'm compromising with evil. And I can't do that, man. Yeah. I can't, you know, I fail. Don't get me wrong. I fail. Right. Yeah, we all do. Daily That's basis. Right. It's good. And I can't do it. Never yeah. compromise with evil. That's so good, man. I I appreciate you sharing that. And so I I deeply appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners will get uh, get some pleasure out of this and definitely go check out red blooded outdoors podcast um, with, uh, with my brother cornbread here. It's a, it's amazing. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, He's on Instagram at red. I think it's red underscore blooded, right? Underscore outdoors. Yeah. 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 So follow those guys on uh, Instagram as well. Well, brother, I appreciate you being on here. I'm going to let you go for the night and uh, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely, brother. We'll talk. All right. Have a good one. See you, man. Hey, my friends. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. If you did, do me a huge favor and head on over to iTunes. Leave me a rating and review. That will definitely help us get this message out to more people. Also, if you haven't done so already, let's connect. You can connect with me on my website, timdouglasinspires.com and or on the social media sites, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Let me know that you listen to the podcast and that's how you found me. Lastly, stay tuned for more to come. And I definitely want to thank you again for subscribing, for sharing this with your friends, leaving a review, all that good fun stuff. So until next time, go out there, face your storms, make your difference in the world, and we'll see you next time on the Inspired Way podcast. Thank you.